men and women are different. And those differences are not just biological. But you already knew that, didn't you? So why is that simple admission so important, especially for people of faith? We're at a critical crossroad as Christians. We have a choice to join our postmodern culture and dismiss gender roles as bygone relics from oppressive societies that have no use in our progressive enlightened era. And for the sake of being accepted and relevant, we can try to label gender roles as simply constructs of the collective imagination of an oppressive patriarchy, and nothing more or nothing less than that. But try as we might, they won't be dismissed, and they're not going away. Why? Because Genesis 5-2 tells us that God created them male and female and blessed them. And he named them mankind when they were created. Jesus would later echo this in Mark 10:6 when he declared that at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. They're not going away because they were made and given to us by God. So what does the Bible say about masculinity and what it means to be a man? What about toxic masculinity? And what it says about being a man. Is it possible for us to celebrate masculinity without it being toxic? Is promoting masculinity among men the same as degrading and oppressing women? How do we raise our sons to be spiritual leaders, selfless, humble, temperate, self-controlled, and responsible men that know how to honor women and please the Lord? me trying to be manly because this is mm. an episode about man manhood the beards in bible pod <clears throat> let me try to do deeper the beards in bible podcast no yes no yeah i mean I if you're that's... going for spawn of satan i think you know <laughs> <laughs> i don't know i just i don't have that deep of a voice and i feel like if you're doing a podcast on masculinity and manhood you should welcome to the beards in bible podcast that's about as deep as i can get <clears throat> My name's Josh, joined by Gabe. Gabe, you doing all right this morning? Yeah, yeah, I'm doing well. Doing well. Good, man. Good. As always. Uh, yeah, look at you. Too blessed to be stressed. Yeah. Hashtag better than I deserve. Uh, Hey, so you just went on a trip. I did. I did. I just got back. I survived. Yeah, I was... Um, I don't know what inspired me but i was so we live on this state nature preserve not on it but our yard borders it and uh in this nature preserve it's like 400 acres there's a little creek and when i say creek it's like a glorified drainage ditch that runs through Mm. the middle of our city and comes out and it forms what's called beaver creek and i was standing there one day and we were like feeding the fish and stuff on this boardwalk and i was like hey Remember that movie Milo and Otis? I was like, <laughs> I was like, eventually this water, and I'm talking like this thing is like six feet wide, you know, it's like, and, mm-hmm. and like a foot deep. I was like, eventually this water makes it to the ocean. I was like, how cool would it be? I was talking to Noah. I was like, how cool would it be to follow this water to the ocean? And so we got on Google maps and we were like looking at the Creek and sure enough, it, the Creek hits a bigger Creek and that Creek hits a river and that river hits a different river. And then that river hits the ocean. So I was like, wow, it's totally doable. We can do this. So a oh, year wow. a year goes by, and we were, like, scouting it out. We would drive over bridges and look <clears> to see, you know, what's the water like and stuff. And so finally, we just put a day on the calendar. We're like, okay, we're going to do this. We're going to block off, like, 8 to 10 days. We know it's about 135 miles, 150 miles, something like that, you know, according to the river. And, uh, and we're going to try it. So, yeah, we did. We put in, uh, wow. I think... Uh, a couple Sundays ago, we started off and uh, we made it like four miles in in like ten hours. Um, just wow. we were literally hacking our way through uh, this jungle, wading through this creek. I felt like I was in Vietnam, just like hacking through. <laughs> I had a pistol in one hand and machete in the other. And, but no, and then the next day we hit like nine miles, and the next day we hit like twelve, and it kept going up. And wow. our, our record was like twenty five miles because we eventually got onto like the big river. 
You but, guys yeah. just camping like at night? You could just pull off of the bank and camp? Yeah, yeah. We would just when it you know an hour before sundown, we would start looking for a good campsite on the side of the river, and um, we would just pull our kayaks up and unload our our uh, tent, and sleeping bags, and yeah. So we slept uh, eight nights on the river. Wow! And so this was you and your oldest son, or is this? Yep. Yeah, me and Noah. Yeah. Yeah, we would cook dinner there on the side of the river and uh, and listen to random uh, banjo music playing in the woods. No, I'm just kidding. There's no banjo <laughs> music. But no, there were there were some some crazy so noises like out there. South southeast Alabama, North Florida. Yeah. So we started okay. in southeast Alabama and okay. we spent three days in Alabama and then we spent five days crossing the entire panhandle of Florida. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. We're on the, dude. What's called the Choctahatchee River. Yeah. And it is it is wilderness out there. Like it is there's but the 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 night skies were all beautiful, you know. Oh, it's amazing. Um That's but yeah, amazing, we man. one night we were we pulled up um I think it was like the 5th or 6th night we pulled up on a sandbar. And we're setting up camp and we start hearing bombs hitting the earth. Like no, not exaggerating. We were like, Whoa. okay, that is those are large explosives colliding with the earth somewhere nearby. And we were really freaked out by it, and so yeah, much so sure. that I, I picked up my phone and I called a pilot friend of mine, and I was like, "Hey man, do you know?" Or maybe I texted him. I was like, "Do you know of any um, any like bombing ranges or or like what this noise could be?" Here's kind of like our general location, and he's like, "Oh yeah, you're not far from uh, this this airfield where the you know the air force actually drops bombs on a range, basically." Oh. I was like, "What? That's crazy!" So all night we listened <laughs> to like these large like I don't know what like. 300 pound bombs hitting <clears throat> oh the earth. It was, gosh, man. Yeah, it was pretty wild. That's pretty incredible. Yeah. Yeah. So what we would a- wake up. I mean, oftentimes we'd wake up hearing gunshots in the middle of the night, people hunting, you know, coons and all kinds of stuff. Yeah. That's a, that's an incredible thing to be able to give to your son and to have that memory of you guys being able to do that together. And he's yeah. what? 13, 12, 13? Yeah. 13, 13. Yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah. We filmed, we kind of chronicled each day, um, for our family's YouTube channel and we, we were going to put it on there. So I'm going to start releasing like a day a week here on our, on our YouTube channel. And, um, uh, that's awesome. But yeah, he, he had and a drop good time. your YouTube channel. So everybody knows to where to go. Check it out. Uh, it is called our simple story. Our simple story. Yeah, you just so did on. a video the other day about uh, a spring in Vernon, Florida. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So was I that like part it. of this trip? Or is that a separate trip? No, that was a separate trip. That was, okay. I did it a few weeks ago. But yeah, yeah he, he, he really enjoyed it. He was like totally into it. I think he was a little bit depressed that the trip was over. <laughs> but well, I would have been. <laughs> I think it's partly because he got out of, he got out of doing schoolwork and chores and stuff. Yeah, so he was yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. Life is simple on the river. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, that is awesome, man. Yeah. And I think that um, stuff like that is becoming increasingly more rare for men and young men to have experiences like that. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. You know, we we when we got off the um, river, actually at at the beach down in near um, near Destin, actually is where we ended up. Did Stace come and pick you guys up? Yeah, yeah. She she came and picked us up. Back. <laughs> <laughs> Their kayaks and everything. Um, yeah, that'd be that'd be fun. Just no, we, we, you and I, we did a trip at Rainbow River. We did that. You remember that? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We yeah. did. We did hitchhike. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> it was terrible. I totally forgot about <laughs> For all of that. For a number of reasons. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was a... We'll talk about that here in a minute. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That was that was a good trip. Um, yeah, so we're, we're, we're like just craving like good food, you know, because we've been eating like ramen noodles for eight days and stuff. And so we, we go to Jimmy John's. No, nice. no, no, not Jimmy John's. We go to um, Five Guys, Five Guys. Oh, yes, yeah. absolutely. So we go to Five Guys, and um, so I just order, like, the biggest burger, you know, you know, I'm just like, <clears throat> but we're, we pull up into Five Guys, and there, there's this little Honda Civic that's all decked out and stuff as we're, so we're in a, we're in a minivan, a 2010 Toyota Sienna with two kayaks on top, and <laughs> and we pull up into the, the Five Guys parking lot, and there's this little Honda Civic parked right next to us, and it's got all these decals on it that are like the most like inappropriate decals that you can imagine on all over the windows <laughs> of this thing. Like, and one of them is like such and such contraceptive prevent prevents minivans. 
Oh. <laughs> and and so, you're in a minivan right next to him. So, you're like, okay, well, there you go. Yeah, so, like, we just spent, like, eight and a half days, nine days on the river, and we just, like, you know, but we pull up in this minivan, and we get off, and we're just getting out of the car, and, and Stacy's like, Noah, don't don't look at those decals. Don't read the decals. And I was like, <laughs> oh, man. I was like, we're going to get so many questions after <laughs> reading these decals. But they're all just, like, you know, some guy, like, has all these decals on there just, like, totally degrading of you know, women in every regard. Is, oh gosh! But so then you had like healthy God honoring masculinity, and then you had toxic masculinity right next yeah, to each yeah, other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there you go. The entire time in Five Guys, we were trying to figure out which one of these guys in here does that car belong to. <laughs> <laughs> he was funny. the guy in the back flipping burgers, probably. So. And we were the last people to leave that restaurant, and we never did see one of the patrons go to that car. I'm so we you, determined it the was restaurant. the it was the guy who made my burger, yep. who had all those decals on his car that were yeah. Yeah, I've worked in enough restaurants to tell you that's probably the case. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, he made a mean burger, so there you go. That's awesome, man. That's really really cool. Yeah. So. Um, our topic today is masculinity and manhood. And Gabe has three sons, and your son's ages are 13. Yeah, 13, oh gosh, 13, 9, and 5. <laughs> 13, 9, 5. Okay. Yeah. And my son's age are 5 and 1. Judah just turned 1. So Gabe's a little bit further along in this journey than I am. But I'm already kind of seeing some... Um, some of the unique challenges, I think, when it comes to raising boys, um, mm-hmm. that, you know, I love my, my daughter, I have Gracie, she's three, and she is just absolutely has me wrapped around her finger, and I love her to death, and she's amazing, and she's awesome. Um, but there's a difference between my sons and my daughter, there just is. Mm-hmm. And it seems like in our culture, it's becoming more and more, um, I guess you can't really say that men and women have differences that extend beyond biology. Like we're just not really allowed to say that. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. That's really strange to me. Um, but I don't think it has to be that way. And we'll talk about that here in a minute. But um, one of the things I think that's really evident is if you just look at the state of men right now in our culture, uh, things aren't going so well for men um and and of course someone may say you know listening to this okay well boohoo you guys are a bunch of you know fragile men you know bemoaning how bad men have it and no i'm not not trying to take that stance that you know men are getting persecuted or anything like that i just want to read just some statistics and you know from these numbers people can take with it what they will um Statistically, American men have a four times the suicide rate among American men is four times higher than among American women. Uh, girls are outperforming boys in school. Men's educational attainment is seriously lagging behind women in all levels of academia. So, high school, college, graduate school. Um, and even, I mean, it starts as early as elementary school, but. Um, Boys are just not doing well academically. Uh, boys are three times more likely to get addicted to video games than girls. I would say there's probably a correlation between performing bad in school and video games, but that's just me. <laughs> as a former high school teacher. Uh, men commit 90% of homicides in the U.S., represent 77% of homicide victims. Uh, 98% of mass shooting crimes are committed by men. Although depression is higher in women than men, more, uh, less than 25% of men surveyed who had depression ever sought any help for it. Um, men are more likely to use almost all types of illicit drugs than women. They're more likely to develop an alcohol addiction. Um, so things are like not good among American men right now. Like just statistically speaking, men are more likely to commit crimes. They're more likely to, uh, commit suicide. They're, they're, less likely to do well in school. All these things are happening. And a, a really disturbing trend, I think, that that has picked up steam in the media is the fact that there have been this influx of these radical groups over the past five, six years 
One in particular I've been really interested in. I don't know, Gabe, if you've studied these guys or not. Uh, a group called the Proud Boys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you studied these guys? Uh, just a little bit. I don't know a whole lot, but yeah. Super interesting to me. Um, they are a self-described group of Western chauvinists. Hmm. So in order to get initiated in this group, you have to say, I'm a proud male chauvinist that refuses to apologize for the Western world. That's like your oath. Hmm. And they recruit um, mostly (laughs) angry young men. And they recruit them online, and then they train them to incite physical violence on their ideological opponents. So part of becoming a proud boy, being a part of this group, is you got to go to a rally somewhere and pick a fight with Antifa or pick a fight with, um, you know, a protester, right? So it's really interesting. Men aren't doing great just across the board. And then you've got these, like, really, really extreme, proudly chauvinistic groups that are popping up that are recruiting these angry young men that are probably deeply frustrated and deeply disenfranchised and have all this pent-up rage and don't know what to do with it. And so these groups are like, hey, man, join join us. We'll show you what to do with your group. Almost like uh, the – you remember the movie Fight Club? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This whole, like, thing of – you know, we've all been brought up to believe that someday we're all going to be rock stars and movie gods and uh, sports athletes, but what we're not, and we're very angry about it. So, what do we do? We fight. Mm-hmm. And so, there are plenty of groups that are popping up out here that are willing to take this male angst and channel it for all the wrong things. Yeah, and it's pretty disturbing. Um, yeah, I suppose you, you could say the same thing about you know. Um, like other terrorist organizations as well, like ISIS or sure. you know, the sure. Taliban or, you know, uh, black Hebrew Israelite, you know, just things like right. that. It really prey on, on young, angry men. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, in our, in the U S you probably aren't going to see too much ISIS recruiting. I'm sure it happens, but probably more. I mean, you and I were talking before we on the po- hopped on the podcast, the trial of Kyle Rittenhouse right now mm-hmm. is happening all across the news. And we were talking just about this guy. He was 17. And he goes and straps up with his AR-15 after being online and seeing all these chat boards on a Facebook group about, hey, we need people in Kenosha to go and protect. And so, you know, there's a lot to say about that, and I don't know where anybody falls on that as they're listening to it, but I think that a 17-year-old strapping on an AR and going into the middle of a basically a riot zone is probably not a wise decision. Mm -hmm. But he was radicalized. He was basically told, I mean, Hey, are you, are you upset about all this stuff going on? Here's a way that you can handle it. And that's not very wise for anybody, but especially a 17 year old. <laughs> so there's lots of groups like that, that are, I think almost taking advantage of young men and their angst and then their rage and then their, their passion. Um, and men in the church really fare no better. Um, we said this in our pornography episode, 64%. Some research actually says it's closer to 70% of Christian men view pornography at least once a month. Hmm. At least about a 300% increase in marital infidelity. Um, Outside the church, that rate is very, very high. Um, Across the board, men are less likely to attend church, to pray, to view their faith as important. Basically, men consistently report not being as engaged in their faith as women across every single category. So... It just kind of seems right now, Gabe, that men in our country, both in the church and outside of our uh, outside of our churches, they're not doing too hot. Hmm. So, like, why would you say that is? Hmm. Yeah, I think I think once you break that chain of a fatherhood, um, healthy fatherhood and influence on a on a on a on a boy, um, you know, it creates this exponential cycle of dysfunction and and anger and misappropriated zeal and energy um i think that's i think that's really what's happened is that we've we've perpetuated this cycle that uh you know i don't i don't know how we restore that other than we raise in our own i always say to to people you know one of the most godly things you can do one of the most kingdom effective things you can do is to raise godly children. And I Mm -hmm. I think especially godly young men 
who know what it, who know what godly masculinity looks like. So you think part of the reason there's so many men in crisis that don't know what to do with this, like you said, this zeal, and mm-hmm. they misappropriate it to all the wrong things, is because they've never had modeled for them like here's what you're supposed to do with that. Here's what true masculinity that was given to us by God looks like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think we that's part of it, definitely. And, you know, within just the, the notion of being a man, there is there is physical power in that. There's physical strength in that. But also there's, you know, there's psychological, there's just sociological power and strength in that as well. And that's just undeniable. Mm-hmm. And so I think what a, what a godly father does is he tells a young man, a, a son or a mentoree, hey, you have this power, you have this strength in you. And one of the godliest things you can do is to learn how to harness that for good and to use that yeah. zeal and that passion for good and for, for promoting justice and equality. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. Um, so this whole idea of toxic masculinity, uh, I think is becoming also in vogue. Anytime we start having discussions like this, people are like, well, a lot of the problems are because of toxic masculinity. You know, and all masculinity is toxic. Um, which, to define that term, basically, when someone says to- toxic masculinity, most of the time what they mean is these cultural norms that are associated with men that bring harm to society and even to the men themselves. So mm-hmm. stuff like misogyny and um, homophobia and, um, you know, almost like when people talk about rape culture. Yeah. How a man has to go and get what's his can yeah. can lead to things like an increase of sexual assault and domestic violence. And even like this socialization of boys in predominantly patriarchal societies can can sometimes just normalize violence. Mm-hmm. So bullying and aggression and kind of the pecking order of which guy is the, you know, the the strongest. Um and, and then it's all kind of dismissed with hey, well boys will be boys, you know. Um, and, and I would agree that is exceptionally toxic. Mm-hmm. And so that's not what we're talking about this morning in terms of teaching our sons that, that mm-hmm. actually leads, I think, to the problem of why men are in crisis. <laughs> yeah. But the answer for that is not scrubbing away all understandings of masculinity and everybody being androgynous. Right? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's going to create, you know, a whole set of problems, a whole other set of problems. But yeah, yeah, I mean, think, I think, yeah, embracing those differences and, and, you know, to, to put a male and a female in a classroom together and, you know, being a former teacher myself, you, you, you know, this like, uh, you, you, you're going to get totally different outcomes if you put a 14 year old boy in a seat next to a 14 year old girl for six hours <laughs> and expect them to behave exactly the same and learn exactly the same way is just totally flawed in its in its methodology. Yeah. And um yeah, I mean that fourteen year old boy is so pent up with just raw energy and passion and zeal and and wants to do something very kinesthetic and and you know, he, he needs to feel what it's like to to work and to exert energy. And yeah. you know, the female is an intelligent being and you know, she's, she's going, she's going to be able to comprehend and learn and all this. So we, we treat these, these two different organisms, like they're exactly the same and they learn the same and they do the same thing. And that's, I think it's, it has serious repercussions. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I wrote an article for renew.org, um, about this sex, this, this topic. And, um, if anybody's interested, you can go on renew.org and just look up um, toxic masculinity and and one of the things I shared in that article is um, my experience is teaching high school because when I taught high school as an English teacher um, this was before you know <laughs> everything we talked about in our last episode CRT really had broken in and stuff but truthfully in a lot of the curriculum that I taught through English there was very much kind of an agenda given by these well-meaning figures that gave kind of these really vague, androgynous 
just nothingness about what it meant to be male and female in the name of not wanting to hurt feelings and wanting to include everybody. Mm-hmm. And I mean, this is like 15 years ago, so I can't imagine kind of what that looks like now mm-hmm. in education systems, right? Yeah. Um, so on one end of the, the spectrum, there was that happening, right? Um, but something else I also saw is that those voices were usually outshouted and outpreached by TV, movies, video games, pornography, pop music, hip-hop music, social media, online content. And every day these kids got preached at about what it looked like to be a real man or to be a real woman. And and usually it was things like Jersey Shore, right? <laughs> like that's a real man. You go out and you, you know, see how many chicks you can pick up and how many women you can sleep with and that's what a real man does right he's gonna he's got an eight pack and he can bench press you know 500 pounds that's a real man right um you know because i live here in tennessee for a lot of young guys it was real men drove trucks mm-hmm. right uh real men watch sports real men shot guns <laughs> uh real men proved their masculinity by the number of women they were able to to sleep with mm. and so it was so interesting to me that there was this narrative being pushed by the education system of just like, Hey, we're all the same. Everybody's equal. There's really no difference. Men can do anything that women can do and women can do anything that men can do. And there's, there's no distinctives or difference between the two. And then yet these kids were figuring out for themselves. Yes, there is. But Mm. here's, (laughs) I just watched pornography. This is what I saw. Men, men dominate and abuse. That's, that's what a man does. And so I think we're at this kind of critical crossroad as Christians that we have to be okay with saying there is a difference between male and female. Um, especially like as the transgender movement takes traction. Mm-hmm. Because the transgender movement is basically saying there's a difference between sex and gender. And gender and sex are not the same thing. <laughs> have you heard this? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Explain that rationale for somebody listening that. Oh, they don't man. understand because I, I don't understand it either. I don't, I don't understand <laughs> enough to say, but basically, that sex and gender are two different things, and like you're born with your sex, and that's a biological aspect of you, but your gender is fluid, and that's more of a mm-hmm. psychological aspect of you. I assume. So, um, yeah, that you can, yeah, your gender is fluid, and you can basically, you know, I guess according to that logic and those rules, I could be. I could switch genders every other day as long as I wanted yeah. indefinitely, but yeah. my sex is going to stay the same, but yeah. So it's separating psychology from anatomy, which is um, very unscientific to do, but yeah. it's really interesting. It's very interesting. And it also kind of seems to suggest that things like masculinity and femininity, femininity have nothing to do with body parts and biology they have everything instead to do with whatever culture we were brought up in Mm -hmm. right so it's the whole nature versus nurture argument so this kind of gender studies and gender theory discipline if you want to call it that i don't think it's a discipline because i don't think it's very scientific basically states the only reason that men in america act like they do is because they grew up in america it's not their it's not their biology that makes them act like that. It's their upbringing that makes them act like that. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah. But I mm. I totally disagree with that assertion. I think that's a wild and crazy assertion. Because I think if you look at what we have attributed as masculine across all people in all places and all times and all cultures, it has certain things in common no matter where it is on the earth. And the same thing with what is feminine has certain things in common, no matter where it is on the earth. Hmm. So to say it, it is simply just a product of our upbringing and our environment, I think is very, very, very uh, misguided. I just don't think that's true. I think as Christians, the Bible says that God created us as male and female and blessed us. And Jesus said that in Mark ten six at the beginning, God made them male and female and then all through the Bible, the Bible tells men how they're to act and behave in marriage and tells women how they're to act and behave in marriage and in the church and in the the body of Christ. And there's differences there. Yeah. So I think scrubbing those differences away 
in the name of being inclusive is probably one of the most damaging things we can ever do to anybody. Hmm. Yeah, it's it's interesting because as far as I know, in um, the world of genetics, or I don't even know what, what field of science this would be, but we can't control gender. We can't control if a, a baby's going to form as a male or a female. Um, no, let's 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 be a little bit more woke, Gabe. We can't control <laughs> sex. We can't control sex. We yeah. control whatever gender we want, right? Yeah, yeah. Seriously, <laughs> I know um, what you're saying, but I'm just but, I'm giving you a hard yeah, time. Yeah, so we can't control that. So it's it's yeah. interesting. Like that's completely dictated by, uh, you know, whatever forces of conception or i mean we could look at it as a supernatural aspect too like that's controlled by god that's dictated by god so like for us right. to come in and try to impose and superimpose our you know presupposed gender or whatever it's almost like we're we're saying no god i'm not i'm not content with what gender you made me what sex you made me i'm i want to be this but yeah yeah it's 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 interesting i don't want to get too much in the, the transgender realm right now but Yes, yeah. the the I, I really do think and and really wholeheartedly believe that if men were like if every man in the world or in the United States of America were the, the godly men that Scripture calls us to be, that this conversation about transgenderism and what is gender, what is sex, and all this stuff, it would wouldn't be. I I wonder if it would even be non-existent, let alone as hmm. loud as it is now. So almost like the distortions of masculinity and manhood mm-hmm. have led to people going, men don't need to act like men because every time we see a man acting like a man, he's always being yeah. oppressive and abusive yeah. and dangerous. So it's like a it's like a yeah knee jerk reaction to yeah. men being bad men. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So do you think? And I don't want to speak from a place of of fragile masculinity, but do you think that? men have been shamed for displaying masculine traits? Um, it's possible. I personally have not. Um, yeah, me either. If anything, I've, I've, it's the other way around. I kind of like, you know, I'm around people that, um, unfortunately I've surrounded myself with men who are godly and celebrate, um, manliness, godly manliness. You know, yeah. like we, in our congregation have like a, a men's group and, and we go and we do work projects just as men. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's open to women, but you know, all the women just kind of understand, you know, this is, this is the men, the men do that, you know, like that's just, mm-hmm. they hang out, they build friendships, they serve the community by working and, and yeah, and it's just, you know, we all wear flannel shirts and drink coffee and use power tools and it's just like, but, Amen. That's, but we don't like, <laughs> we, we don't oppress, you know, or anything like we don't belittle, yeah, 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 yeah. but no, I haven't really received any sort of like, um, criticism or See, and here, here's what's so interesting to me. And you probably share this too, Gabe. You and I both grew up in the South and mm-hmm. you and I both grew up playing music and enjoying art and enjoying things that some men at our high school or in our families probably looked at and said, that's not very manly. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. And and so in a weird way, I felt like a fish out of water sometimes in my own town and my own family because I played the classical cello. And I I went to a music conservatory and played with the Chattanooga Symphony and Opera. I went to college on a cello scholarship and, um, you know, did drama with my church. So I did all that, but at the same time, I loved going camping and hiking and hunting and mm-hmm. and I loved college football and all that stuff. And so it was almost weird. Like I felt like there were certain things that I enjoyed and liked and I was into and I was good at that never got celebrated or recognized because there was almost like this allergic reaction that men around me were like, you like that? That's gay. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Did you experience that growing up too? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, um, yeah, I, I, I know what you're talking about it in, in the South, especially there's like this deeply entrenched misconception of what a man is or what a man should be. And it's like, yeah, it's like this ego tripping, uh, squatted truck driving, you know, like this NASCAR <laughs> attending, like, um, it, it just, you know, it's like, 
and when you don't fit that and you're instead something a little bit more well-rounded uh, you know you're striving to be more like a i guess like a renaissance man of sorts it's like yeah. um yeah you can i almost i've almost gotten more flack for that than i have um than, than being masculine i suppose well my first teaching job was in bradley county tennessee and um in every school i ever worked at i was if not the only man in the english department like the only uh one of the only like two men in an English department, like 30 women. And my first teaching job, I drove a Ford Focus station wagon and I taught English. And I remember this little seventh grader uh, came up to me in the middle of the school year. He'd found out that I, w- I had a girlfriend. And he was like, Mr. Brooker, you got a girlfriend? All this time we thought you was gay. Nice. <laughs> and I was like, well... Jesse, why did that was his name? I said, why why did you think I was gay? They're like, well, I mean, you don't drive a truck, and you teach English. <laughs> I just started laughing because I'm like, so that's what these young men believe about manhood that if you drive a truck and you don't value education, then you're a man. But if you mm-hmm. drive a station wagon and you happen to have a degree in English and you work in education, then you're not. Like that's just crazy to me. Yeah, yeah. That's really funny. Yeah. So is uh, promoting masculinity among men the same as degrading women? Because critics of our podcast might say this. Josh and Gabe, you guys are talking about masculinity of young men, but what about women? And I would say that it's possible to do both. You can promote masculinity among men and you can promote femininity among women. You can promote men being strong, and you can promote women being strong. Hmm. Um, I think just across the board in the church and in our culture, we have failed to properly celebrate, recognize, honor, and give women proper credit for their contribution to the home, to society, to the church, just just in general. And and I think that like we should be willing to say that, like, man, we've we've missed the boat in that. Agreed. Yeah, and I would say that um, um, uh, an idea of manhood that oppresses women or belittles women or objectifies women is is completely contradictory towards uh, to uh, the idea of biblical manhood. Absolutely. So there's hey, this isn't in our show notes, but I wanted to. It just occurred to me. I want you to look up a painting that you probably okay. have seen. It's called, and those listening can look this up too. But it's called the Accolade. It's A-C-C-O-L-A-D-E. Um, okay. It's a painting uh, by Edmund Lighton, painted in 1901. Oh, and cool. for those who aren't looking it up, um, you should kind of describe right it. It's a, a queen, and she's holding the, the sword that belongs to a knight, and the knight is on his knees before the queen, and he's had his head low, and the queen is holding the sword right up against the the side of his neck, but resting on his shoulder. And she's knighting this man. And this hmm. man looks like a big, you know, kind of a burly man. And the queen is like kind of, kind of small and dainty, but she's a queen. Um, but I, I wanted to read a little bit, if you, if you would allow me, Josh. Um, yeah, absolutely. This book that I read not too long ago called Adam Loves Eve. And he talks about this painting and how it's like a beautiful picture of... Um, biblical manhood. Hmm. Um, He says, more than a century ago, Edmund Layton created a painting called The Accolade. It depicts a knight clad in chain mail, kneeling before his queen. She is a beautiful and regal young woman, bearing a crown on her head and a sword in her hand. She rests the blade of the sword on the knight's shoulder, its edge mere inches from his neck as she benights him into her service. To me, no painting so beautifully depicts the delicate balance of a perfect marriage. I have shared this image with many acquaintances and solicited their opinions. Without exception, each woman who sees the accolade wants to be like the queen, and each man wants to be like the knight. Every every wife wants to be adored by her husband, just as the queen is obviously adored by the knight. And every husband wants to be respected by his wife as the knight is respected and honored by the queen. He says the queen and the knight are in somewhat of a standoff. The powerful knight 
trained in weaponry and warfare, could, if he chose, snap the queen in two like a stick. She, on the other hand, holds a razor-sharp sword against his neck. Now, perhaps, you say, this painting is starting to look like your marriage. Do you, know, do you <laughs> and your wife each fear the threat posed by the other? Do you fear vulnerability? Vulnerability, that is the sticking point where honor and danger coincide. If you wish to have a blissful marriage, you must make yourself vulnerable, and there is no exception to this rule. Do not mistake vulnerability for weakness. The image of a knight kneeling in submission before his queen is an image of a power under control, and power under control is the essence of a real man. Wow. That's so good. Yeah, yeah. It just, it just came to mind. I was like, oh, Who's I'm kicking myself. Who's the author of that book? Uh, Grant Luton. Okay. Yeah, Adam Loves Eve. Uh, it's a, a, a Bible's guide for men seeking a better marriage. I highly recommend it. That's awesome. And what a cool picture is that, that power under control. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I love that. And and honestly, like, that's what toxic masculinity misses out on. It it seems to say to men, hey, you feel strong, you feel powerful, like, be as strong and as aggressive as you can be, and that's what manhood looks like. And biblical masculinity says, no, God gave you that strength. But Jesus said, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Like, hmm. use it to serve. Use it to serve yeah. your wife. Use it to honor and um, uh, respect and protect the people around you. Yeah, and I think that's like, really good. It's almost like biblical masculinity, godly masculinity, says, is confident in knowing the power that you possess. And yeah. knowing that you don't have to use that or prove that to anyone. Yeah. Whereas ungodly masculinity, we call that toxic masculinity, is always trying to look for a way to prove you have that power mm. and to and to show and to gain validity in that power and <laughs> to like look at me, I'm I'm big, I'm powerful, you know, and draw attention to like I need that validity. Yeah. And that's ultimately what a godly father does for a young man. Yep. Is he he validates in a young man Look, you you are going to grow into a powerful young man. Yeah. You're going to have strength. You're going to have, you know, you're you're going to you need to learn how to harness that for good. How to use that to serve and defend and protect other people. Yeah. Anytime there's a squatted truck that roars by our house, mm. my son always asks me, "Daddy, why why did people drive trucks like that and I always tell them I said because their their daddies didn't give them enough attention as they were growing up <laughs> oh god you don't you mean you don't go out there in the front yard and flap your hand and try to get them to yeah yeah you know that's yeah, the no thing they go to like there. rallies and like they, they like flap their hands have really? you seen that before uh-huh. yeah 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 look I've it up never, on YouTube I've, I was too busy reading my bible to go to the truck rallies so. <laughs> yeah was, they go to these rallies and being they like literate. sorry they'll, you know how like you go to a concert and you like headbang well they go to like squatted truck rallies and they, <laughs> And they flap their hands. And I think it's like, you know how you like do the, the horn thing for a semi-truck? Well, that's a way to tell people with squatted trucks, <laughs> I want you to rev it up really loud. So if you see, next try it next time, you see it like a, a squatted truck. So unfortunately, Gabe's internet went down very crucial moment of the episode and I was asking him his favorite masculine archetype maybe he's seen in movies or art or history or literature um, so I apologize on his behalf and I'm going to try to land the plane a little bit on our episode about masculinity but um, one of the things that Gabe and I talked about before we recorded this episode are, are these caricatures of masculinity that so often we see and maybe our reticence as a culture to embrace celebrating masculinity comes from these toxic caricatures of manliness that maybe have been passed off as true masculinity. And these have created just untold damage to, to marriages, families, and churches alike. Um, one of those that I think that I've seen a lot is this caricature that boys don't cry. Um, we, we've created this mythology that says real men don't get emotional, and any man that does feel emotion should feel shame or is effeminate. And this is a toxic lie that creates untold emotional and relational trauma to countless men as their their wives, their 
children, their brothers in Christ, struggle to try to connect and relate to them emotionally. Um, so this whole idea that real men don't cry or can't cry, that's that's really just a delusion accepted only by men that really don't have enough courage to face their emotions. And if weeping or crying is a sign of weakness, then the great men in the Bible who wept before the Lord, that'd be David, uh, Joseph, Job, Peter, John, Paul, and even Jesus himself. The shortest verse in the Bible is John eleven thirty five that says Jesus wept. All those men were wimps and cowards. So that's a toxic caricature that we have to reject. That Yes, sometimes men do cry, and that's okay. Um, here, here's another one I've seen just doing pastoral ministry. Real men do manly work and leave the housework for the women. Um, I, I think this caricature is usually passed down generationally. And uh, it relegates things like cleaning, cooking, childcare, doing the dishes. Th- those are tasks only for women, while carpentry, construction, lawn care, outdoor manual labor, those are things that are reserved only for men. And I think this is a not only a, a, a gross and very legalistic oversimplification of what it means to be male and female, it completely ignores the fact that some men may prefer to do the cooking in their families while their wives may be more gifted in carpentry. And working in the kitchen doesn't make a man any less masculine. On the contrary, one could argue that a man who works hard in the kitchen to provide dinner for his family is far more masculine than the dude that sits in his chair with his beer and does nothing to help his wife who's forced to perform certain tasks completely absent from her husband because he won't do it because he's deemed that as feminine, and that's a threat to his fragile understanding of masculinity. So I think that's a caricature. Um, We are not defined by the work we do or the work that we don't do. Another one I've seen is the greatness of a man is measured by his success on the ball field, his prowess in the bedroom, the size of his billfold, In other words, I think a lot of men grow up hearing and believing that performance equals value. Therefore, a man's competence, his mastery, or his dominance over other weaker men in certain areas of life, that earns him his worth. And so this may be a mindset that a very achievement-oriented man may naturally gravitate towards. Um. I think this outlook is decidedly anti-gospel because the gospel tells us our identity as sons of God is a gift to be received. It's not a task that we can achieve. And not only that, the gospel compels us to be considerate of and encourage our weaker brothers, Romans 14 and 1 Corinthians 8, not to view weaker brothers as competition to be crushed, And so I think these caricatures have really damaged and destroyed a lot of men and their understanding of what it means to be a man. But when we look at what the Scripture says, I think it's very clear that God has uniquely designed men with a very specific purpose and given them a role to play within their home, within their marriage, within their family, within their church. And the problem is so many of us don't know our purpose, we don't know our role, so we take cues from culture, from those around us, about what it means to be a man. So caricatures of masculinity get passed off as true manhood, and our culture then rejects those caricatures, rightfully so, and then true biblical masculinity doesn't get talked about for fear that it will be rejected too. And so we do men a disservice because we don't teach them what it means to be a godly man. But according to the Word of God... God has called us, his men, to be the spiritual leaders of our home and to lead our wives and our children as we submit to the authority of God, that we display the image of God by showing what Jesus looks like and how we serve and love our wives. That's what Ephesians 5.25 says, that we are to love our wives as Christ loved the church. And we also display the image of God in showing what God the Father looks like and how we love, protect, provide, and raise our children. Uh, the Bible also calls us to be selfless. That's what men do. Ephesians 5.25, again, tells us to be like Christ, and that means that 
the love Jesus shows for us is the kind of love that we're called to show our wives and families, and Christ's love towards us is selfless. It says that he gave himself up for his bride, the church, as he went to the cross, and so the Bible calls us to give ourselves up, to lay down our lives for those around us. So that means that all of our hobbies, our interests, our desires, our pursuits, all the things that we want, those things come after our spouse, our children, our families. And that's real manhood. That's what it means to be a man according to the Word of God, to be selfless, to be sacrificial, not self-seeking. Uh, the Bible also says that, that men are to be humble, to be temperate, and to be self-controlled. So this idea of like an alpha male who puffs out his chest and, and takes charge to get what he wants in the workplace or from a woman, that, that you, will, you will never find that in Scripture. Um, on the contrary, we're encouraged to consider others more important than ourselves. That's Philippians 2.3. We're encouraged to discipline our bodies and to bring them under control. That's 1 Corinthians 9.27. We're encouraged to be gentle and self-controlled in all that we do. That's Galatians 5.23. So a, a man that has no control of his vices, who goes out and gets what he wants through aggression, that's really not a man at all. That's not a man that knows how to control himself according to what Scripture tells us. Another aspect of masculinity, according to 1 Corinthians 13, is putting away childish things. Uh, Paul says this, When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child, but when I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. So biblical manhood involves this idea of being willing to grow up, to accept the responsibilities of adulthood, and to put away our childish impulses. So part of that means that real men are willing to work hard. Um, real men are willing to communicate in a mature and productive manner. I think in so many counseling situations I've met men that are screamers and that are yellers and that are sulkers, and that are whiners when they don't get their way. And I think all that is is really just immaturity. And part of maturity is learning how to communicate like a man. And, and, and men don't primarily shout. Men know how to use words in a way that builds up and that's productive and that's mature. Um, part of being mature also means that we stop making everything about ourselves. So the Bible calls us as men to do that, to put away childish things. The Bible also calls us as men to respect, honor, and value women as joint heirs with Christ. So this idea that men are somehow better or men are somehow more dominant is a complete gross misinterpre misinterpretation of Scripture because 1 Peter 3.7 tells us as men to show women honor and respect as a fellow heir of the grace of life. So that means... Things like physical, verbal, emotional, and sexual abuse. Th these are all violations of God's word. These are all violations of God's commands. Um, when we deny a woman her right to be heard, or we devalue her perspective or her viewpoint or her opinion, when, when we use her differences almost as weapons against her. Um, these things are, are breaking God's charge on us as men to honor and respect women and to honor and respect the differences that God has designed between men and women. Um, e even subtle things like, like misogynist or disparaging comments ab about women that are shrouded in humor. And, and I've heard so many men make these comments or, or laugh at jokes like this. And, and it's and it's shrouded in humor and everybody laughs and all that. But I, I really think that all that is is just a it's misogyny shrouded in humor and it is disrespectful and dishonoring and defiling to the image of God in our wives and in our sisters in Christ. And so what the Bible calls us as as men is to respect and to honor women, not to degrade them, not to see them as somehow less human than we are just because they're different from us, but no, to see them as equal in every aspect. 
yes, different, but equal in every aspect, having equal value, dignity, and worth because they are fellow heirs of the grace of life, according to 1 Peter 3, 7. So as we as we kind of finish our episode today, I think a big question that maybe somebody listening may have is, okay, so I've got two boys or three boys or a son. How, how do I teach my sons to be spiritual leaders, to be selfless, to be humble, to be temperate, to be self-controlled, and to be responsible men that know how to honor women and to please the Lord? I, I think... So much of what we're talking about has everything to do with this word discipleship. Men will, especially young men, men will model what they see for them. So much of this is caught rather than taught. So if if you're listening to this and you're a dad, I would say to you the best way that you can raise your son to be selfless, humble, temperate, self-controlled, and responsible is for you to model that in your life and for you to be intentional about looking for teachable moments in the life of your son to show him what it looks like to display godly, God-honoring masculinity in every area of his life. Um, I, I really think that your sons need to see you serving your wife's um, your sons need to see you being willing to apologize. Your sons need to see you pray out loud. Um, <laughs> I had a moment, for the sake of being transparent and vulnerable, I had a moment where uh, my son has been waking up in the middle of the night because he's not feeling too great. And um, on Saturday night, he woke in the middle of the night, like probably three thirty, four o'clock in the morning. And uh, I was exhausted. I had to preach the next morning. I had just preached on Saturday night. We had an event at the church Friday night. Man, I was so tired. And he woke up because he was coughing, and he came downstairs. And so we got him a spot on the couch. He wanted to sleep on the couch, and so we did. And, and he wouldn't stop talking. He wouldn't be quiet. And I, and I just got so frustrated and just snapped at him. And the next morning, I'm driving into church, getting ready to preach, and I'm praying, and I just felt like the Holy Spirit said, you need to call your son and apologize. And um, there is something deeply humbling about picking up the phone and calling your five-year-old and saying to him, buddy, I, I blew it. I really snapped and, and said something that, that was um, really unkind to you. I just want to tell you I'm sorry, and I love you, and please forgive me. But I want him to be that kind of man. I want him to be a man that knows how to own his mistakes and knows how to humble himself and knows how to admit when he's wrong. And so I can't expect him to ever grow into that if he doesn't have anybody modeling that for him. And so I think that's where it starts. If you're a single mom listening to this, then we have the church for that reason, for brothers in Christ showing young men what it looks like to be a man of God. And so I would just encourage any single moms listening to to get involved in a good church home and find godly men within the church that can mentor and disciple um, your sons. And I think we can celebrate the masculinity that God has placed inside of our sons without encouraging them to play into these caricatures of manhood. I think we need to call out these caricatures of manhood when we see them. Um, my son is learning to play the game of golf. Um, I took him to a little par three course uh, in our town. And when we go on vacation and visit my dad, my dad lives on a golf course in South Carolina. And he got it in his head. I don't know how he got it in his head. He got it in his head that only men play golf. I don't know where he got that idea. I don't know if it's because he only played with me and his granddads, but um, he got it in his head that only men play golf. Well, it just so ha- and I kept telling him, buddy, women play golf too, and women are actually really good at golf sometimes. And um, it just so happened that while we were there at my dad's house, there was a women's golf tournament and it was like an NCAA invitational from all of these like big name SEC schools like these top ranked women's golfers and my son asked me hey daddy I want to go to the the driving range this morning so we drove out to the driving range and here are these women that are in college that are just absolutely crushing the ball off the tee I mean driving at 300 yards and my son's standing there with his mouth open because in his mind he thought women can't play golf. And here are these ladies just 
absolutely playing golf better than anybody he's ever seen play golf. And I looked at him and I said, hey, buddy, women can play golf, can't they? And he said, yeah, they can. (laughs) I think that when we see these caricatures, we see these misunderstandings popping up in our boys of masculinity, of things that women can't do that they can do, or things that make a man a man, that, that we maybe correct them when we see them, that we don't let them grow, that we challenge those misunderstandings, because we have culture that preaches at our sons all sorts of things about what it means to be a man or what it means to not be a man, and, and we need to be very, very, very sure of what the Scripture teaches and be very sure to disciple them and train them and teach them in these things um, every single day. And, and so much of this is caught, not taught, but there is a time to correct when we see misunderstandings and caricatures pop up. So I hope this is helpful. Thank you guys so much for listening. Gabe sends his profuse apologies. He actually just texted me and said there is an internet outage across his entire town. So be praying for the <laughs> city of Dothan, Alabama, that everything everything uh, gets up with the internet soon. So thanks for listening, and we'll see you guys next time. Well, thanks for listening. That's our show. If you like what you heard, make sure to give us a share, leave us a review. Or send us an email at beardsandbiblepodcast at gmail.com.